Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael, and I'm excited to announce that we are next moving to the book of Daniel on Walk in Truth. What an exciting book and what a timely book. I dare you to be a Daniel. Man, this guy was awesome and his friends as well. They conquered compromise in chapter one. Daniel had interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We have the fiery furnace. We have Nebuchadnezzar being humbled, the writing on the wall, Daniel in the lion's den. We have so many incredible stories coming up, so many incredible lessons. We have the 70 weeks prophecy, spiritual warfare, the second coming, the rapture, the resurrection. This is an exciting book and I'm excited to present it to you on Walk in Truth. Let's get going. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Daniel is a captive in Babylon, and yet he has decided to take a stand. Here we are in America, and we can barely take a stand with our neighbor or our best friend or a family member? What if they came to America and said, you're, you're kicked out of your country and you ended up on the streets of, let's say, Mexico, and let's just say somehow you ended up in a palace with the president. Would you stand for your faith then? You know, this, the seeds of this belief, if you will, started, I think, just by seeing Daniel's name. Daniel's book is uh, twofold in terms of just the big picture. It is extremely practical and prophetic. If you're a note taker, you might want to write that down, two Ps. It's practical and prophetic. The first part of the book is very practical, although there is uh, overlays on both ends. So we get into, for example, chapter six, and we're going to see Daniel uh, refusing the edict of the king, and he ends up in a lion's den, hence the picture of the lion behind me. We're going to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll learn their Hebrew names in a moment. And they're going to take their stand and not bow before the colossal statue of Nebuchadnezzar. There's going to be practical ways that we can see how to take our stand in a culture filled with compromise. And then there's going to be prophetic uh, things in the book as well. Many, many prophecies in the book of Daniel, so much so that many skeptical scholars have tried to redate the book of Daniel to the Maccabean period. So you're talking about the intertestamental period from Malachi to Matthew. You had 400 years of silence there. And so we're moving about, you know, from 200 to 150 BC, somewhere in there in the Maccabean period. And they want to redate the book of Daniel to the Maccabean period because there are so many meticulous prophecies in Daniel 11 alone, there's like 100 specific prophecies that were fulfilled in Daniel's uh, lifetime or immediately thereafter. Daniel chapter 11, I should say, in the next couple hundred years after Daniel's life. Um, they want to redate it to that time, but I will tell you this. On solid scholarship, you can date the book of Daniel between 530 and 535 B.C., Daniel's the author. His name means God is my judge. And he writes between 530 and 535 B.C. If you're wondering who are some of Daniel's contemporaries who lived during the time of Daniel, people like Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, to name a few. And so in Daniel's world, uh, he, had, he had some contemporary prophets. He had some companions 
or even family members that were taken captive with him. And so it was easier, I think, for him to take a stand. There's an interesting uh, way to confirm the earlier date of the book of Daniel by looking at an ancient story. It's recorded by Josephus. He records an incident during the time of Alexander the Great, which supports the early authorship of Daniel. When Alexander's invasion reached the Near East, Judea, the high priest went out to meet him and showed him a copy of the book of Daniel, in which Alexander the Great was clearly mentioned. As we'll see, Greece comes up in this book several times. Alexander was so impressed by this that instead of destroying Jerusalem, he entered the city peaceably and worshipped in the temple. That's recorded by Josephus. We do know that the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, was completed around 250 B.C. You cannot date the book of Daniel to 170 or 150 if it's in the Septuagint, which was com completed in 250. Everybody understand? It was already there because it was completed around 530 to 535. And the only reason someone would want to reject that is because they want to reject the supernatural. They are scholars that come to the scriptures, and I put scholars in quotes, with a presuppositional view of anti-supernaturalism. They don't believe prophecy is possible. So why would we believe them on the dating of the book of Daniel? The book of Daniel is in the Septuagint. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Jesus said Daniel was a prophet. And one of the incredible prophecies in the book of Daniel is the specific day that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on the, what we call Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. We'll look at that in detail as we move into chapter 9 of the book of Daniel. Daniel was not only a prophet, but in Daniel 10, 11, it says that he was greatly loved in heaven or highly esteemed. Why was Daniel so greatly esteemed in heaven? Because he was a man of God. And heaven had a wonderful view of Daniel because Daniel was a faithful man and he was faithful to his calling in his lifetime. That's all you can do, by the way, is be faithful to your calling in your lifetime. You got a certain amount of time to live on this planet. And then Daniel's name, God is my judge. We're going to stand before the Lord. And we all know that we're going to get in by grace. And we're hoping and praying that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? And so this is why we want to study a book like this. Now, Daniel 1.1 kicks off this way. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, we're in Daniel 1.1, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, there were three uh, besieging episodes that occurred under Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, in terms of Jerusalem. He had the first wave in 605 B.C., the second wave came in 597 B.C. And the third wave in 586 B.C. So if you're interested, and this is something that I think is helpful for all students of Scripture, is that you're going to learn some history as you go along. And this is, a lot of the stuff is affirmed by secular history outside the Bible. The first wave, 605 B.C., that's when many believe that Daniel and his friends were taken captive in the first wave. The second wave came in 597 B.C. 
And uh, that's when some priests were taken and some of the royal family. There are many who believe that's when Ezekiel was taken into captivity in Babylon. And then finally in 586 BC, a major milestone date for all students of Scripture, because in 586 BC is when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem to the ground. He raised it or leveled it. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians. And about 150 years later, the southern kingdom was destroyed by Babylon. Assyria destroyed the north, major date 722 BC. And Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, destroyed the south in 586 BC. Those are two major dates to remember. But remember also that it came in waves and certain captives were taken uh, in each wave Exiles were taken, and we have a marker, a historical marker. You're going to find this in many of the books of the Bible. You find it's the third year of a certain king's reign. He's the king of Judah. He's in the south. This is about 605 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon, comes to Jerusalem to besiege it. Jerusalem just seemed to be one of those cities that when someone was, a, was mad, be it a king of Egypt or a king of Syria, they were kind of in that in-between place. If you get a chance to tour um, Israel, sometimes the guide will tell you that Jerusalem often suffered just because it was in between Egypt and Syria and other nations to the north. And sometimes nations would fight each other and kings would come back upset because they lost and they would take it out on Jerusalem. And this is just kind of the history of that city. War after war, destruction after destruction, pummeled. And uh, in 586 B.C., it was leveled to the ground. And so um, this is a little bit of the history of the backdrop of the book. Uh, Daniel and his friends, though, had an advantage. And here's one of the advantages before all of this occurred. There was a good king that lived, and his name was Josiah. And he made a lot of reforms uh, in Israel. He smashed the, uh, the idols down and he reopened the temple and the book of the law was read and he realized that Israel was at a, at a bad place for, as a nation. And so under Josiah's positive reforms, Daniel and his friends probably got anchored in Scripture. And I think we could assume a couple things. Number one, Daniel's parents had a large positive impact on him. And number two, Josiah the king had a large positive impact. And it just goes to show you that if you have someone good in leadership, they can affect many people for many generations. And even though we live for a window of time and sometimes we think in 50 years after I die, is anybody going to remember me? I don't know if that really matters, but really what matters is the impact that you can have on generations to come. Josiah, a good king, and he was a rare one. And the parents of Daniel are among a couple that we can think of and we can think of the application for us tonight. Like, what's the positive impact that I can have in my lifetime on other people? I can do it if I have a platform of leadership, if I pour my life into others in terms of leading them spiritually, I can do it as a parent, I can do it as a grandparent, I can do it as a mentor, I can do it as a discipler. There is somebody that you can be pouring into right now to have a positive impact. And that impact may branch out in more ways than you could imagine. You touch one life 
and that life becomes on fire for Christ, you never know how that's going to branch out. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. Really what matters is the impact that you can have on generations to come. Josiah, a good king, And he was a rare one. And the parents of Daniel are among a couple that we can think of. And we can think of the application for us tonight. Like, what's the positive impact that I can have in my lifetime on other people? I can do it if I have a platform of leadership. If I pour my life into others in terms of leading them spiritually. I can do it as a parent. I can do it as a grandparent. I can do it as a mentor. I can do it as a discipler. There is somebody that you can be pouring into right now to have a positive impact. And that impact may branch out in more ways than you could imagine. You touch one life and that life becomes on fire for Christ. You never know how that's going to branch out positively. And so don't underestimate the power of a life that's been sanctified to God. Don't underestimate your ability to have a positive impact on people. Now you'll notice that under the sovereignty of God in verse 2, it says the Lord gave. One of the big themes of the book of Daniel, we could talk about courage, we can talk about faith, we can talk about being resolute, but the biggest theme of the book of Daniel is the sovereignty of God. No matter where you are, no matter what's happened in your life tonight, no matter how bad things have gotten, God is sovereign. And God rules in the affairs of men. And he uh, overrules. uh, You know, people think they're so strong. Later in chapter four, we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar walking on his balcony. Isn't this the great Babylon that I have built? (laughs) Man, I'm bad. I'm I'm, I'm a bad man. And God's going to speak to him and say, oh, yeah, you are about to become a rock and roll star. Because your hair is going to grow long. Your nails are going to grow long. You're going to be a member of KISS. How many of you remember the KISS? The long nails, the long hair. And you're going to be out eating grass for seven years, old Nebby. Now, I like to call Nebuchadnezzar Nebby because some of you are VeggieTale fans. Can I get a witness? Anybody here? Come on. Just a few. Anyway, Nebby K. Nedzer is what he's called in VeggieTales. (laughs) 
So sometimes you will hear Pastor Michael just say Nebi. That comes, that's inspired by VeggieTales. So just so you know where that comes from. Now I want you to know that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, and I could tell you a lot <clears throat> about Jehoiakim, but just know this. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was an evil king. And finally God said, enough is enough. And I am going to use a foreign army to discipline my people. This is the book of Jeremiah. Let's, let's flip there. I want to show you just a little bit of backdrop. Uh, just got to go a little bit back now. Go to Jeremiah 25 and take a look at verse 1. Remember, uh, Babylon was a land of idols. It was a pagan land. <clears throat> and Israel and Judah had been warned over and over again. This is Jeremiah 25. This is the role of a prophet to warn the nation. And here's what it says. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Now we just read about the third year of Jehoiakim. So we know this is a little bit before that, about a year before that, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Now Josiah was the good king, but Jehoiakim wasn't. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah, to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent you all his servants, the prophets, again and again. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way, from the evil of your deeds, and dwell on the land which the Lord God has given you, has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. And do not go after what? Other gods, to serve them and to worship them. This is the the ongoing problem for Israel, idolatry. And do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands, and I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, as he speaks through Jeremiah, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. He'll become God's servant in the sense that he's carrying out God's discipline and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all the nations round about. And I will utterly destroy them, make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting des desolation. Moreover, I will take them, take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and a horror. And these nations shall, sh shall serve the king of Babylon. How long? Seventy years. And that was because they didn't let the land rest. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans. I will make it an everlasting desolation. I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves of them, even them. And I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the work of their hands. 
For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, says to me, take this cup of wine, of the, of the wine of wrath from my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. Now I could say much more in terms of what the, uh, what Jeremiah says, but some of you have read the book of Lamentations, and that is credited to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is the last wave of captives. So you're talking about now 586 B.C. The book of Lamentations is about a lament over what? The destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah had to watch it and then write about it. And he was called the weeping prophet for a reason. And so you can see that when the Lord gave, back to the book of Daniel, um, when the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, Jehoiakim had been warned. The nation had been warned through the prophets. But Jehoiakim wouldn't stop his nonsense. And so he continued to rebel against God, and God did what he promised he was going to do. Gleason Archer, who is commenting on this idea of the sovereignty of God over the affairs of men, says these words. The surpassing health of Daniel and his three companions after 10 days on a simple vegetable and water diet, chapter 1. The miraculous disclosure to Daniel of the contents of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, chapter 2. The amazing deliverance of Daniel's three friends from the fiery furnace, chapter 3. The previous warning to Nebuchadnezzar of seven years of dehumanizing insanity because of his pompous pride, chapter 4. The terrifying prediction inscribed on the banquet wall of Belshazzar, followed by a speedy fulfillment of the same. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting Belshazzar and his knees. In chapter 5, we're going to watch Knocking Together. Oh, that's to come. It's another great story. Daniel's deliverance from the lion's den. All clearly show the Lord God of Israel was in charge of the tide of human affairs and was perfectly able to deliver his people from pagan oppression during their captivity. Whatever situation you may find yourself in tonight, just know God is sovereign. God is the master, if you will, over the affairs of men. And so even though this has happened, and if you're a Daniel or a Jeremiah or an Ezekiel, you have to be asking some deep questions like, why? How many of you have been asking deep questions like, why another school shooting, Lord? Why Texas? Why this uh, science teacher, I think it was in uh, Indiana, has to tackle a junior high student to try to keep him from killing uh, fellow students or teachers? Why? How many before these last two have we had? How many of us are asking the why questions like, where are you, God? What is going on? Could Daniel have asked those questions? You know, as he was taken captive, it's quite possible that Daniel had a, something put into his nose and was pulled into a line of people walking to captivity for 500 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. 500 miles. You think you got fed along the way? You think you were treated with respect? I think not. And to Babylon they went. And if you're Daniel, you're thinking, man, I grew up in a church-going family. I, I was growing up in the ways of Torah. I was 
a, a man, a young man who decided I wanted to follow God and serve God and I'm in some line of slaves headed to Babylon? What? You think he had some legitimate why questions? I think so. And yet you're going to watch Daniel take his stand in a polluted land because I think he understood the sovereignty of God. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, Daniel 1-2. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, another name for Babylon, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. In the final wave in 586 BC, when they destroyed the temple, they took some of the holy vessels consecrated for the house of God into the temple of their God. Ancient uh, um, armies would battle under the ensigns of their gods. That, that's another way to say under the banners of their gods. And their banners, which were like glorified flags, would typically depict an image of their deity or deities, plural. So they would have a flag and they would, they would be marching out. The people of Israel, what was their ensign? What did they fight behind? The ark of God. Hey, listening family, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you another exciting thing about walkintruth.com. It's the store that's there. There's some great products up there on some intriguing subjects available in CD and DVD format. When you purchase one of those products, you actually support the radio ministry and help us reach out to more people like you. It's walkintruth.com. Click on the store, check it out, get a product, and you'll be partnering with us in the gospel ministry. We appreciate you. We love you. God bless you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.